Hello listeners, it's Philip here. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, The Devil's Alley. Joining me is my brother Peter. Hey Peter. Hey there. His background is of Santorini, but he's in Austin, Texas. Um, and speaking of Santorini, a certain young Greek uh, in the men's draw was widely criticized for taking bathroom breaks that were uh, a little lengthy. You, it made you sort of wonder uh, what what was what was what was going into those toilets. You know, um, if if they were necessarily that long of breaks, then you know something really uh, you know. So, some epic Greek ruins may have emerged. Um, however, uh, we know we we know pretty sh- we're pretty sure that those were just breaks to you know upset the rhythm of the match, um, especially the one against Murray. Uh, but you know it's not against the rules. And so, Peter, I have a question for you: Have you done anything that? You know, isn't explicitly against the rules, but is definitely against the spirit of the rules. Uh, of course, I have. I feel like anyone who answers that question otherwise is is not answering in good faith and is um, and is violating the premise of the question to begin with. I, I think that um, one area where I think is rife with technically adhering to rules, but breaking the spirit of the rules is the weight room. Um, there's a lot of poor form um, in order to uh, claim that you got that one extra rep that when really you probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um, there have been a, quite a few times where I've not gone totally down on my pull-ups and gotten more a higher number of pull-ups because I didn't go totally down. There have been times where I've sped through my push-ups to get through a higher number of push-ups, not gone all the way down on my squats or on my bench presses. But and I guess the other area where I see a a lot of um, a lot of fudging around what's good faith and what's not. I think um, Craigslist is another area. Um, I just remember being unable to try to start a watch brand online and being unable to sell them profitably. So I just put the price, um, set the price of the watches um, on my site to like $2,000 each and then sold them for a quote 90% discount for $200 each on Craigslist and got a lot of interest. Um, And then I guess another thing that I sort of did in a way that kind of bent convention, but I don't know. Um, when I was selling things on Craigslist recently, when I was moving, I received a lot of cash. And so I started paying for cash recently. And one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of cashiers have started using the electronic payment system, which asks you to tip them when in the past you haven't had to tip cashiers before. And then I realized that if you pay in cash, you don't have to deal with that electronic payment system that guilts you into tipping cashiers. So um, 
I sort of started, maybe not, I don't think it's against the rules, but maybe it's against modern convention is just using cash more where I feel like a, uh, a, um, a, uh, electronic payment system is going to, um, cramp my style. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, you know, anything to avoid tipping people, <laughs> especially minimum wage workers, uh, for me, I guess, uh, one thing that comes to mind is in Paris, there are a lot of very small, like, very narrow one-way streets, and a lot of them have, like, like, bike, like, a sign of a bike with an arrow, like, on the right side of the lane going the opposite way to show that, like, if you're on a bike, you can bike against the traffic on the right side of the lane but there is just nowhere near enough space to actually allow for cars going one way and bikes going another. However, since I bike everywhere, I use that, uh, that right side of the lane and, you know, really piss off the cars coming the other way. Uh, because even though it's allowed, it's definitely not in good faith. I should probably just go one street over, but you know, <laughs> fuck the cars. They're ruining our climate and all that nonsense and i'm i'm the one who's uh who's ethical here because i'm not creating fossil fuels and all that um so yeah that's uh i guess one small example um yeah so what are your i guess on to the tennis what are your main takeaways from the tournament so far uh i guess the match of the tournament sticking with Sitsipas was uh the one that Tsitsipas played with Alcaraz, unless you have a different one that you'd like to to say for match of the tournament. Yeah, it was either that one or the one Tsitsipas played against Murray. Um, I, mean, I might be forgetting a big match or something, but I think those... Tsitsipas had a short-lived tournament, but one that was full of very memorable matches... I think the other Alcaraz five-setter against Goja Wicks was, was a good one, too. I really enjoyed the Tiafo-Felix match. I think Tiafo just has so much mojo under the lights. Um, Brooksby has been a sensation, and his match against Karatsev was, uh, had a lot of energy to it. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably... Another one is Van de Zanschulp. Uh He was good. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I, I, Van de Zanschulp, or what I call him, uh, Bodage the Body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, I think you've highlighted the matches that I... I liked as well. Uh, I think the center Sverev match was interesting because, uh, yeah, I watched the final set and uh, center was really gaining belief. Like he was down two sets in a break and then broke back uh, to push it into a tie break and had asked the stringer to string like three of his rackets because it was clear that he was feeling confident. And then he had like a set point in the third set tie break. 
and botched a forehand like one millimeter wide, and then Sarah won the won the match. But I really wonder if if Sinner had been able to close out that third set, if like that would have been a deep five setter. Yeah, that that's that's a big what if match. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Another one is uh, Fritz Brooksby first round that. That was, uh, I think that was um, a third set, no, second round. Uh, the the second set was a tie break that went like 12-10 uh, Brooksby. And if Fritz had won that tie break, he would have been up two sets. Uh, and that must suck for Fritz to lose to like a 20-year-old American up-and-comer since, you know, he was the one who had so much like... Uh, like press coming up as like a 19 year old and has never really been top 15. So, uh, yeah, it sucks. It sucks for him to like be, be upstaged by a young American. He, he snapped his racket on his knee at the end of the match. It was actually pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, another one, Jack Sock made it to the third round. Resurgence of Jack Sock is upon us. He yeah. took a set off Zverev too. Yeah, and then Ilya Avashka, he like continued his uh, his his summer stretch after winning Winston Salem. He took Berrettini all the way to a fifth set. Um, yeah, and then yeah, I'm, l- I'm looking through the draw at some some others. I guess Lloyd Harris. He made the the quarterfinals and beat Chapovalov in three easy sets, followed by like a four setter against Opelka. That was a good. It's been a good summer for Lloyd after beating Rafa to start the summer in DC, just continuing the momentum. Yeah, he uh, he's just like so dumb looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the South African accent, you know, so it's sort of a. Uh, it amplifies whatever your look is. So if you're smart, you're smarter with it, you know. And yeah. on the on the flip side, uh, yeah, I've heard the same is true with money. Money amplifies whatever you are. If you're neurotic, you're even more neurotic with it, you know. Money yeah. plus a South African accent, you're Elon Musk. <laughs> um, Looking through the draw, more good matches. There was Batista, Gu, Felix. Um, I didn't see it, but uh, looks like Felix had to dig deep to win that one. Uh, yeah, but I think the 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 biggest story of the tournament is by far um, Alcaraz. Uh, where would you put him among the the recent phenoms? I would say the phenoms since uh, I guess. Dimitrov. So that would include like Team Sverev, uh, Sitsipas, Felix. Uh, was Medvedev a phenom or he was sort of a late bloomer and so was uh, Berrettini? Kyrgios was a phenom. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. Kyrgios was definitely a phenom. Um, yeah, Sinner was in there. I think, um, uh, what's his name? Kashinov was sort of one. He was like, 
Uh, I, I think you know, Chorich was a Chorich was a phenom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it's hard to say because I think that of the phenoms, the most talented in terms of just their game was Curious, and it may not even be close. Um, in term, but like in terms of just having like the athleticism, the game, and like the mental aspect of the game. Um, I think pretty much all of them lacked at least one of those. They weren't like a 10 out of 10 on at least one. I think that um, Alcaraz, he, I really like his mental toughness. And I think that he hits a sweet ball. But I just, and I think he's got a good serve too. He serves in like, at least his first serve. He serves in the mid-120s. And it seems like easy power. Um, my my thing with him, though, is just he doesn't, like, just um, – I, I feel like his – he um, – when you – he has – he can run down a lot of balls, but he doesn't go, like, defense to offense super well. Um, and I think that he – I just, I'm just not, like, blown away with his talent the same way I was with, like, Kyrgios. Um, I, think in ter- I, I think in terms of just total package, um, though he, he may still be, at least as an 18-year-old, the, the, he definitely belongs in, like, the, the um, Felix Sverev category. I don't think we knew enough about Zverev to know that he would have mental sort of toughness issues. Um, so it's, but I think in hindsight, he clearly did. And I think Felix had some mental hurdles to get over as well. And he's now finally coming into his own, but sort of taking it all, including the mental side of things into, into account. I think he might be the best one. I think he might be the best one. Yeah, I I actually disagree with your point about defense to offense. I saw him hit some shots that were just absurd. Um, that was just like, I remember just watching that since the past match and also like a bit of the Gojewitz match too, or Goyawick or whatever, however you pronounce it. Um, the... I just remember like seeing him just hit shots and just not believing how good that shot was. And then him doing it again. Uh, yeah, I would sort of describe his game as like part Djokovic, part Rublev, or like Rublev with more finesse. Like I describe, I I think he's like got um, like a viciousness about like the way he hits the ball. That reminds me of Rublev, but he's not like as one uh, as single like channeled as Rublev. Like he he hits drop shots, he hits lobs. Uh, he has like I think a slightly better feel uh, in general, and he has that sweet two hander. Like his is the best backhand I think I've seen since Djokovic. Like. Uh, like Nishikori has a sweet two-hander as well. Uh, 
Felix has it really sweet. Yeah, but Felix, like, misfires a lot. Um, I guess Zverev has a sweet two-hander as well. Well, well, what I'm saying is uh, Alcaraz is on that level. Like, he is... He is upper tier in terms of just like how well he hits the ball, and it, yeah, and there are just no holes in his game. Uh, I guess the one thing he'll have to become is stronger. Um, with strength and experience, he'll get better. But uh, I think Musetti, like I was so impressed by Musetti's first two sets against Djokovic in uh, Roland Garros, like uh, Musetti, like. He has like his improvisation was just incredible. Uh, I think those two will have some battles. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's hard to say right now how good Alcaraz is because we've only we've only seen it for one tournament. Um, but he's up there. He's he's in the same category as like Sinner, uh, Sverev, uh, Felix. Uh, um, all those guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. Kyrgios was the top talent of the bunch, but um, some might argue that uh, competitiveness is a talent. Um, yeah. So I think that with uh, Alcaraz, uh, or with, so the one thing that's kind of like holding me back from really gushing um, is that he was playing his match against Goyewich at the same time Felix was playing against. Tiafo, and if you just flip back and forth from those matches, it was just like obvious that Felix was at another level, and he there's the 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 speed at which he's playing now, and and his uh, even when he lost the first set against Tiafo, it was kind of a fluke. He just he wasn't able to convert on like fifteen break chances in the first set, and and. Uh, you just knew that, like, if if it was going to be Felix versus Alcaraz, it was going to be a beatdown. And um, I know Felix is twenty one now, and Alcaraz is eighteen, and there's a big difference between twenty one and eighteen. Um, and and so it's it's apples and oranges, even though they're like the last two or two of the last three like major phenoms. Um, but but still, it's it's like it's just sort of seeing um, it, it, and maybe Alcaraz was tired and didn't have his full game anymore, but it was kind of like seeing um, he has still like a long way to go just to get to Felix. Yeah. Though that since the past and, and, match was just incredible, an incredible level from him. I think he might've been injured in the Goya where, match uh because he pulled out like he was getting he was getting uh like uh medical timeouts uh throughout that match and yeah and he might just not have the the strength and conditioning to get that far in a grand slam um yeah i i think you're right um i think that's this is sort of the long long way of saying though um while there are a lot of good phenoms out there and, and Alcaraz is, is the current one, we're still waiting on the next Nadal. Yeah. He had some... I think Alcaraz, uh, he sort of had some Nadal mannerisms. Like, 
when he just couldn't believe that uh, one of Goyewick's shots was in, and like the 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 system, the machine like showed it like barely touching the baseline. He just sort of shook his head and started bouncing the ball again, like sort of the way Nadal might. It's sort of clear, like with the way he behaves on court, he never throws his racket and stuff. Uh, it's the imprint of like the Nadal Academy is is on him with the way he behaves. Uh, he also just seems like a a good kid, like uh, a guy who can't believe how lucky he is, uh, like off the court. Just he has a nice smile, uh, yeah, and just seems like a humble guy. Um, so yeah, I sort of. I'm confident that he'll just keep his head, keep the right head on his shoulders. Um, yeah, I agree with that. He's He's got, like, a really strong mental um, foundation, I think. He's got, like, a lot of intensity to him. He doesn't get, like, pissed off at the ref. He's, um, he, yeah, he, he's just focused and just a lot. Yeah, I, I, I agree that there's a lot, there's a lot of Nadal there. But yeah, speaking of great competitors, uh, the other young guy who had a breakthrough in the tournament was Jensen Brooksby. Uh, I think the the singular strength of his game is just his competitive brilliance. Just like, like it's rare that you see somebody who's just so skilled at like the art of competition. Um, the guy just fights really hard. Um, I think my my question to you is like, first, uh, like, how would you describe his game? And second, like, like, do you think he has the weapons to really get to the top level, or is like, or is uh, or is he even though he's a great competitor, is he like capped at some point? How would I describe his game? Um, I think his game is... Mark called him a a mix between Murray and Santoro, like an artsy pusher. <laughs> I agree with that. I think that's... I think that um, with him, I like his competitiveness. I think the... I think that speaks to some of his Murray side as well. Um, I'm not sure he's like quite the athlete that Murray was. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, um, I do think he's a bit limited though. I don't think he's like a future top five player. Um, I think that he's going like, to be a bitch to play for the next 10 years though. Yeah. He'll be a bitch to play. Um, I don't know. I mean, it competitiveness took David Ferrer very far. Uh, I just, yeah, and he is 6'4", so I think that his serve has potential. Um, it's just so hard to, to gauge, because, like, um, let me see, Brooksby. Um, yeah, it's hard to gauge. Like, I had, like, literally never heard of him before um what what do you think yeah i i haven't seen enough of him to really uh establish a ceiling for him i think corda is 
the more promising young American of the two. Uh, Jill Simone got to like uh, like eight in the world or something, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put past Brooksby to get like top ten for a couple of years, but uh, yeah, I don't see him as a Grand Slam champion or a top five mainstay. Uh, yeah, I think if Americans are like counting on Brooksby to be the one that's you're going to be holding your breath for a long time, but he will uh, he will just piss a lot of people off, um, and he will be fun to watch, uh, and he will be fun to root for as well. Um, so it's good it's good to it's good to have a a young American with those traits, though it would have been. A little bit nicer if he had more uh, more oomph in his game. Yeah, I, I just think about so he's almost twenty one now. He's not like super young. Um, he but I mean it's not like he's he's getting farther than like Medvedev got when he, it, it's not like he's he's too old. It's it's uh, but he's not like but he's an age where. I feel like like Tiafo is is twenty three now. Like Tiafo made the quarters of the Australian Open two years ago. Um, it's the sort of thing where you can have a good tournament or two, but if you don't have the consistency or like just the pedigree of like a Felix or a or an Alcaraz, it's it's it just becomes harder to bet on you. Well, Brooksby has had quite a bit of consistency. Uh, he won like four challenger events in a row. Like he's, he's been sort of, he's been trending up for the last like six months now. And this is like the yeah, crest of that wave or whatever. Um, or maybe it's just, he, maybe he's still trending up. Uh, like, yeah. One question I have is just how many matches in a row can you do what he does? Like with that, like fight and intensity uh because just like uh that's not a game that's not like a style that ages well unless you have like unless you like develop weapons you know like rafa sort of played that way but rafa always had the forehand you know and rafa has like really he's just a different player from when he when he arrived on tour um so yeah, it's just like with Brooksby, it's like how does his game evolve? Like, uh, but he does have just like the competitive juice. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. All right. So since Pat, so when we went like two years ago or two and a half years ago, since Pat was one of the young stars with like a crop of other people. And now since the pass is number three in the world and we looked back on that and we're basically like, he was clearly the one who cared the most. Of course he was going to be the, in the top five. Um, I, I feel like part of it is just the weapons they have now and the talent. But the other part of it is like, do they have the drive to improve on the things that they need to improve? And are they really going to be all in? And with Brooksby, I can sort of have faith that he'll be all in. And so I, I actually, I, I may revise what I was saying and and actually be more bullish on him and say that he will probably reach the top five at some point and 
have have a stretch where he's in the top ten for um in 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 like the uh in the year end tournament and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean hopefully you're right. Uh yeah, that would be great if American I mean American men have had a good tournament with Brooksby. Opelka has had a good summer and uh and uh Tiafo has had a good summer as well. Uh and then Corda didn't have a good tournament, but he's been um a reason for optimism. So we have we have four guys twenty three and under who who will be on tour for the next ten to fifteen years. So that is like yeah, they'll probably be somewhere within the top thirty for the next ten or fifteen years. So like uh yeah, if American fans you don't have as much to root for as Canadian fans, but uh it's still something. Yeah, still something. I, I consider Brooksby like slightly more American than I consider Corda. I was thinking this the other day, like how good would this like the Soviet Union would be such like a powerhouse if like everyone who like came from like yeah, ex Soviet countries like Djokovic and like everyone who uh whose like parents like fled from Soviet countries or like uh came from them, like Sverev, his parents were Russian, Korda's parents were Czech, uh Sinner's parents were Czech as well. Uh, yeah, like, if, if they just managed to keep it together, like, they would just be what Egyptians are in squash. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Jensen Brooksby is like, what, what, what I've heard it referred to as the golfiest name, uh, anyone's (laughs) ever had. Uh, yeah, uh. He definitely uh, played at country clubs. I mean, I don't know for a fact that he played at country clubs, but um, you can infer it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he's he's very American. Uh, though America is a country of immigrants, so, so is Corda. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Corda is American, like, but it's... It's more of a, um, and I guess he went to American tennis academies and everything, but it's more of like, it's not like a diss on Corda as much of it's kind of speculation about how the American um, tennis system is, is growing its youth. I think the issue, the, the thing, the thing is that his dad was a famous tennis player who did not play under the American flag. So it's yeah. like uh, the fact that we know who his dad is um, makes us think we know a little bit more about who he is. Uh, and I mean, he's 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 like all American, you know, his yeah. sisters are like all American too. to both top 10 in golf. Uh, they're like an enormous American pride like that trio. Uh, we've just seen his dad play under a Czech flag, so it's like, you do a double take. It's like, wait, Corda, is he American? 
No, no, it, it wasn't. It's not even about that for me. Like I, I know, I know he's American. It's more that it's more speculation about our system and yeah. whether he's actually a product of our system or whether he's just, or whether he's mostly good because of the training he got from his Czech dad and sort of reading the tea leaves for how promising our like system for developing youth tennis players is versus whether he's just kind of an, an anomaly who we can take pride in, but isn't necessarily representative. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and considered that angle, but yeah, that's, that's a good point. All right. So we're up to the semifinals. Um, we've got Djokovic versus Sverev and Oje Eliassim versus Medvedev. Uh, what, what what's your prediction on what happens in these these upcoming matches? Um, I think Djokovic uh, beats Zverev. Um, not sure how many sets. I'll just go four. Um, and. And I think that the more interesting one is the Medvedev-Felix match because Felix has been playing better than I've ever seen him play. But the same was true last year until he ran into team, and then it was just clear that he was not at that level. Um, I'm going to go top two seeds, Djokovic against Medvedev, but I would not be surprised if Felix made the final, and I would be very surprised if Zverev made the final. Yeah, I I just don't think Zverev has the stones to, like, close out Djokovic. Um, I mean, he did it in the Olympics, but that was best of three. And something weird was going on with Djokovic at the Olympics. Um, I mean, I think Novak... In the last two matches now, he's lost the first set and then really turned it on and just dominated in in the next three sets. Um, and when Novak is at peak powers, uh, nobody can touch him. Uh, that said, he's been more... Um, he, he hasn't been as invincible uh, in this tournament as as sometimes he is. And I mean, even this year, like, even though this might be the year he, he gets the, uh, single season grand slam, it's definitely not his, uh, his most dominant, um, match to match season. I don't think. Um, so I think Djokovic is, is, is gettable just because I don't think he's like at his best. Um, I think like he might be feeling nerves, like just because he wants this so badly. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I see him beating Sverev, but maybe in like a tough five, like that Australian open semi that they played. Uh, I think it was either this year, or two years ago. Um, Sverev has been playing just, he is such a good tennis player. Uh, like, I don't know. Like, I would not be surprised if Sarah won, but I, I would. I'm gonna take Djokovic in five in that one. 
I think it'll be a match where Sparev might have been the better player for four out of the five sets, but Djokovic eked out uh, two sets and then and then ran away with it in the fifth. Uh, and then I see uh, Medvedev crushing Oje Aliassime in three. Uh, and then it might be like a repeat of the Aussie Open final where everyone's talking about how Medvedev is favored, but then uh, Djokovic just wipes them out. So, with Djokovic, he's lost a set in four of his five matches so far. But in the sets he won, his first round, it was 1-2-1. and one. His second round, he didn't lose a set. It was 2-3-2. Two, two. The, the sets he won in the third round were 3-3-2. Three, three, in, ra- in the fourth round, it was it was three three two or three two two, and then against Barantini, it was two two three. I think that he hasn't. He, even though he's lost a set, he's still been invincible. There's never been a point where you felt like um, the other guy could actually win, and and I think that one thing Djokovic has been doing recently has been not just playing the momentum of individual matches but playing the momentum of the tournament. And I think he might have just, maybe it's, he's like preserving, not just his physical, maybe he's, he's prioritizing preserving his mental energy over his physical energy. And, and it's the kind of thing where really preparing like very hard mentally for a match can be exhausting. And so maybe he's just sort of in this zone where, He's not going to like prepare super hard for a match, but has faith in his game if it becomes somewhat close where he can really turn it up and um, then like really prepare big time for like the semis and the finals. Um, I feel like he's just done that so much that, that uh, I wouldn't put it past him from just really understanding momentum, really understanding what's exhausting and um, and operating accordingly. Because even though he's lost some sets, I feel like there's just nobody who's got even, like, any hope. And it's, like, Djokovic losing a set is not the same as Medvedev losing a set. Like, when Medvedev lost a set to Van de Zanschulp, like, the fourth set was close. You, were, you thought it could go five. Um, not the case when Djokovic loses a set. Yeah. Um, Zverev has been pretty untouchable this tournament as well. He's lost only one set to Jack Sock. Um, um, yeah, I guess all these guys are really good, and you just have to see them play against each other to know. I mean, that's why we play these tournaments. But, uh, yeah, until somebody beats Djokovic, he's the favorite. Um, and saying anything else just you're just doing it to add noise or like to make things seem more interesting than they actually are uh that's a like pre-tournament i had medvedev i put medvedev winning in my in my bracket uh and yeah i'm not sure if i'm probably not gonna stick with that uh it would suck more to like change that prediction and then have Medvedev win, then it would 
to like not change it and have Djokovic win, but uh, but yeah, um, I think after this discussion, I mean, and just after the Australian Open, uh, like uh, where Djokovic was just clearly better than Medvedev, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna change it. I think I'm gonna have Djokovic uh, winning. Uh, I think I'm gonna have him winning in straight sets. One one thing to look at though is the Djokovic Medvedev head to head. It's been really really tight since their uh, first three matches when Djokovic won all three. Uh, the last I think it's five to three now, uh, and Djokovic won the important ones like he won ATP Cup and Australian Open final, but uh, Medvedev. Uh, has taken at least one set in all of those clashes, and uh, not the Aussie Open final. Oh yeah, yeah, not the Aussie Open final, but um, that was like two, two, and one. Let's see. Let's bring that up right now. Uh, Djokovic, Medvedev. Yeah, it was. Seven five six two six two, yeah. So it was just annihilation. Uh, but I mean, in the Nitto, Medvedev won six three six three. They've had close matches, um, and so like if if Joker is anything less than peak Novak, uh, Medvedev would have a good chance. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Cool. And I think Felix, have you seen Felix at all? Yeah, yeah, I've seen him against Tiafo and uh, and one other match. Uh, how good did he look against Tiafo? He looked good. Uh, His serve just, was like ridiculous. I just don't like his double faults. I think they just happen at the worst possible times. This dates back like three years, like to his semifinal in Miami against Isner, like when he was eighteen, where he would have won that match if he hadn't just double-faulted at the worst possible times. And I was thinking that they would just, like, he would, like, get over, it would, like, disappear after a bit. But, like, the double-faults are just still there. And it's, like, kind of glaring. Uh, The rest of his game is good, but he also just does shank balls, like, in kind of ugly ways sometimes. Um... And so, yeah, that, like, I don't know, like, he also does look a little bit awkward when he's, like, on the stretch. Uh, I mean, he's a great athlete, a good mover, especially for his size. But, uh, yeah, there are just times where you're just, like, what happened with that shot? Um, why did you move like that? Uh, where I'm, like, a little bit less impressed with him than you are. Yeah, he's not a finished product, but there are just there there are stretches where he's just so sweet, and like with the 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 pace at which he's able to like move around shots and um, the contact that he can get, and uh, I, I sort of see some Nadal in his game, um, and it, like he he he's got like a relentlessness to him um, that he didn't have. That I didn't. I don't remember from 
from previous years. I think the one he most resembles is Sverev. Like, they've both got the big serve. They both are big and hit it well on both sides. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're both great athletes for how big they are. Uh, but, but, but Felix is a better athlete. He's better at moving up and down. Like, remember how awkward Zverev was at certain points when he was brought to net? Yeah. But, like, I think Zverev is a really good side-to-side mover, but I think Felix is is really good in any direction moving. Yeah. I think Sitsipas is the best, of, the most athletic of the three. Um. We'll see. I mean, I think... Uh, Felix is the best 21-year-old of the three. Yeah, that's true. And then, uh, yeah, but we'll see. Actually, no, Zverev probably was the best 21-year-old. Yeah, Zverev had already won Masters 1000s. Um, Yeah. But then Zverev sort of had a dip, like, after, like, in his age 22 and age 23 years, so... Felix has room to catch up, you know, especially if he wins the U.S. Open. Uh, anyway, I think we've we, we've talked we've talked so far. Uh, we've we've talked enough about tournaments so far. Um, we might be back this weekend uh, after the final. Discuss discuss uh, discuss our thoughts on that. Um, and yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening. You can you can uh, hit us up at Doubles Alley Pod on Twitter. And without further ado, La Bomba. <laughs>